Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. A warning. This podcast contains the sound of fatal gunshots. On August the 22nd, nine-year-old Olivia Pratt-Corbell was at home in Dovecote, Liverpool, when her mum heard a noise outside. She opened the door to see what was going on. One man forced his way inside, chased by another, who was armed with a gun. As the gunman fired, Olivia's mum was hit in the wrist. The same bullet struck Olivia in the chest and killed her. Monday evening, 10pm. The sound of shooting. the moment that nine-year-old Olivia Pratt-Corbell was gunned down in her own home. Both men were complete strangers to the family. Olivia was just the unlucky victim of a spate of violence in Liverpool where last month stray bullets and mistaken identities led to the deaths of three people in just one week. Much loved and incredibly popular, tributes are pouring in for 12-year-old Ava White killed in Liverpool last night. Last Tuesday, 22-year-old Sam Rimmer was shot dead in the city by gunmen on electric bikes. Then on Sunday, 28-year-old Ashley Dale was also shot dead at her home, seven years after her teenage brother died in similar circumstances. So I'm so sorry to report that at around half past midnight, police were called to Leinster Road and we found a young lady had been shot and fatally wounded. So what's going on in Liverpool? Why are guns seemingly so easy to get hold of? Who are the people using them? And are the problems unique to the city? Today, on Stories of Our Times, the gangs and guns of Liverpool. How the killing of a nine-year-old exposed a city's underworld. I'm Fiona Hamilton. I'm the crime and security editor at The Times, which means I cover the major crime stories of the week. Right. Now, we can't say much about Olivia's case because there have been arrests, but remind us in a little bit more detail what we can say happened to Olivia. So that evening, there were two men walking along the street outside Olivia's home. A masked gunman dressed in black, balaclava clad, began following and shooting at them. One of those men, Joseph Nee, 
ran towards Livia's home when he saw a chink of light because her mother Cheryl had opened the door to see what was going on outside because there had been a commotion. She quickly realized uh, that it was very serious and as she tried to shut the door, Nee burst inside the house. The gunman followed him and simply fired indiscriminately into Olivia's home. He shot Nee, but one of his bullets hit first her mother Cheryl in the wrist, passed through her, and hit Olivia in the chest. Nee called his friends, the police have told us. They arrived in a black Audi. They scooped him up off the floor and took him to hospital. And unbelievably, Olivia was left dying on the floor of that house. The police arrived. They saw that she was very seriously ill. A police officer pressed his hand to her chest, trying to stem the blood, but she died a little bit later in hospital. Now, what are the latest developments in that case that we can talk about? So Merseyside police have done an enormous crackdown on serious organised crimes since that case. Specifically, in Olivia's case, the latest arrest was of a 34-year-old man stopped on the M42 on Sunday night and detained on suspicion of assisting an offender. Over the weekend, there was a lot of activity and Nee himself was returned to prison because the activities that happened at Olivia's home were uh, a breach of his licence. He'd been paroled last year on burglary offences. Now, Fiona, let's talk about what's been happening recently in Liverpool and particularly a spate of killings. We saw four killings in a week in Liverpool, including three fatal shootings. So it began on Tuesday, August 16, when Sam Rimmer was shot dead. The early hours of August 21, Ashley Dale, a 28-year-old environmental health officer, was shot dead in the garden of her home in what police believed was a case of mistaken identity. And then, of course, tragically, at about 10 p.m., in the evening on August 22, Olivia Pratt-Corbell was shot dead in her home in Dovecot and she was only nine years old. A couple of hours before the killing of Olivia, Karen Dempsey was stabbed to death in a pub car park and her son has been charged with that murder. Now, why are things suddenly worse or are we just taking more notice than we were? No, there's definitely been a very clear, sudden uptick of violence in Liverpool. And the sheer horror of what happened to Olivia Pratt-Corbell, that's meant that this issue has gone straight to the top of the news agenda. There has been, I think, what you would call a code of silence about reporting things to the police in the past. This time, the arrests have come pretty quickly. Does that mean things have changed? The best known example in the case that has been historically referred to, because extraordinarily, Olivia's killing happened exactly 15 years to the day later, was that of Rhys Jones, who was an 11-year-old boy who was walking home from football practice in August 2007 when he was hit by a stray bullet that was intended for a gangland hit. Our son was only 11. He was only a baby. This shouldn't happen. This shouldn't be going on. Rhys Jones hadn't even started secondary school. An 11-year-old boy who innocently walked into a gang turf war. In that case, the crime was completely covered up. Sean Mercer was the 16-year-old perpetrator. Twelve people witnessed him shooting. 
he was shooting at a gang rival that he had intended to take out, but the stray bullet hit Reese. But there was a culture of silence and also intimidation. He and the accomplice who had supplied the gun were arrested at earlier stages by the police and actually let go because of lack of evidence. But the police didn't give up. And months later, their investigation led them to a witness who agreed to give evidence and Mercer is in prison for a minimum of 22 years. So there are some differences. It's caused similar revulsion across the country, but there seems to have been a bigger community response. Detectives won't say exactly how many tips they've received on her death specifically because of fears it will jeopardise their investigation. But they have said that they've received over 280 submissions of intelligence from people regarding organised crime in Liverpool since Olivia was shot dead that night. So that gives you an idea of the scale of, of what's happening in Liverpool at the moment. Fiona, from what you were saying about the spate of shootings and killings in Liverpool, it does appear that things uh, have taken a very much worse turn recently. But it's not fair to characterise Liverpool, is it, as the worst place for gun crime in the country? So it depends which set of statistics that you look at. Uh, If you look at firearms offences as a whole by police force area, in the year to March, adjusted for population, Cleveland actually comes out as the highest number of offences per 100,000 people with 184. The West Midlands is actually second and Merseyside is a lot lower down the list. It comes in seventh place. However, firearms offences generally can take into account things like licence breaches and regulatory matters. And that's not the best indicator of criminal gun ownership and gun use. So the crucial statistics really are firearms discharges. If you adjust that for population, Liverpool does seem to be a bit of an outlier. But overall, they have made a significant dampening down on that firearms crime. And they do seem to be making some progress. Fiona, what's the deep background here? Why do we think there are so many guns in Liverpool? I spoke to a few people about this and the experts say it's impossible to pinpoint on one issue. There are some very strong historical links between Liverpool and Ireland on both sides of the sectarian divide. And obviously the ready supply of weapons during the Troubles means that there has been a longer history of access to guns in that area. Organised crime groups in Liverpool are often heavily involved in drugs and they forge strong links with suppliers in the Netherlands, which is a major gateway area for drugs and weapons into Europe. Uh, And there's also been a series of gun factories that have been discovered in the Northwest area, low caliber weapons being converted into automatic firearms. I spoke to a a contact who had a long history uh, of working in this area, and he said that Merseyside was quite unique compared to other areas. Gangs have felt the squeeze in recent years probably going back a couple of decades in being able to get weapons. Sometimes they've had to do things like turn to uh, converting antique weapons for use in their criminal endeavours. That certainly has happened in Liverpool, but probably not to such a great extent. There was always a, a fairly ready source. A couple of things would underline this. If you remember Operation Venetic, which was the law enforcement operation in which they broke into EncroChat. First, they blew off his door. Then specialist firearms officers piled into the suspect's home. The Met officers used dozens of stun grenades. 
it was an encrypted system being used entirely by criminals to move products and buy guns and drugs. The National Crime Agency did an analysis and 70% of the weapons led back to Liverpool in the northwest. And then several years ago, there was a very interesting weapon, a Beretta, a self-loading pistol. It was seized in Merseyside, and it turned out it had been the most criminally used firearm in Britain, used in 19 shootings, and several of them occurred in Liverpool. So that gives you a flavour of the tapestry of firearm use. I'm Rob, Rob Hesketh. I'm an academic at Liverpool John Moores University, the School of Justice Studies with the criminal justice team. Before that, I taught police officers, I'm a chartered psychologist, I'm a criminologist. Most importantly, though, I've, I've lived a lifetime where this tragedy's happened. I've lived there since 1972 when I moved into this house as a six-year-old child with my mum and dad. Gangs are something that have always been around. It's not just recently. It always struck me, why didn't I turn out to be the way I am? I met a family, two brothers, and one brother went into the gang thing. The other one, he went to university, got a degree, and went into a famous retail store on a management program. So that really got me thinking about what are the factors that make a young person actually get involved in gangs? And that was the thing that really kicked the ball off for me. I managed to secure some small funding, which was a great start to a PhD, and my journey began. Fascinating. Now, I think for those who've not been there, could you paint a, a, a bit of a portrait of Knowsley, the area we're talking about? Knowsley was, it was actually described as being in the top of every league table you wouldn't want to be in. It still suffers from a lot of poverty, a lot of social exclusion. There is an affluent part in, in Knowsley Village, but the, the troublesome part is basically concentrated in and around North Heighton. Where I am is in Stockbridge Village. That's probably the heart of North Heighton. When I moved here, it was called Cantrell Farm. But it had a nickname, Cannibal Farm. And even today, when I say I'm from Stockbridge Village, anyone who's astute will take me aside and go, no, you're not, you're from Cannibal Farm. And that's, that's the sort of stereotypical image. Rob, did you ever come close to joining a gang when you were young? No, no, no. I was more of a into my football, sport, Liverpool FC, and I, I was a reader. Now when I reflect back, why I didn't get involved is because of my mother and father, because I was an only child. And my mum and dad were very protective. They were aware of the issues that were going around at the estate at the time. It was a tradition, what you would call a traditional working class family. But they were very protective of me. I, I never actually played out on the streets, which was key. You know, as a child, I was thinking, oh, it's unfair. I could, you know, need to get friends and all that. But they took me away from the area. And I, I made friends outside of my area. That is so important. Has there been much mobility into and out of Stockbridge? No, it, there is not much mobility. And this is one of the things I, I found in my research is that social mixing became a significant factor in why young people abstained from criminality and from gangs. What I found was that communities like this, they suffer from high levels of bonding, but very little bridging. For a community to thrive, it must have bonding and bridging. Making connections outside the area, bonding obviously is when you've got a population of people who all experience the same issues. They're all together. They all relate to each other. Their empathy is high. But too much of that can cause factionalism. And it becomes us versus them. And what you've got on, on the estate in Stockbridge is that very thing. It's very insular. There are some people on, on the estate who are afraid to go beyond our estate because they are stereotyped. 
you've spoken to many young people involved in gangs, many of whom had actually good aspirations to be something else. Tell me about your conversations with those people. Just to sum it up, what's it all about? Because I always get this question. Well, obviously, we know about inequality. We know poverty. They're the prime causes. But you've got other things. It's about identity. They want to identify and be identified as someone. But if the legitimate means is not there to achieve the goals, they'll simply innovate and find other means. One guy said to me, well, look at me. Where am I going? I've got no trade. I've got no education. I didn't have the opportunities. It was on my doorstep. I had no choice. But what I also found, and it was very concerning, actually, the perceptions of criminality and employment have become blurred. In Liverpool, crime has become a form of employment. On Mersey Kite, you might have heard the term grafting or grafts. I mean, to older people, it was a hard day's, uh, sorry, good day's pay for a hard day's work. But you come to Merseyside and you say that you're a grafter, it means something completely different. It's like criminality has become neutralised and normalised through that term. I was interested in a conversation you had with a guy, I think, in his early 20s who was training to be a tattoo artist, because that kind yeah. of... Tell he me about brilliant. that. brilliant. Look at me. He said, I'm five foot nothing. I've, I've got sticky out ears, bad teeth. I, I've got no trade, no education. It was the only option for me, as I saw it. He said, and I turned in a £1,000 in a day to a guy sitting in a park reading a paper. An older guy, he's given me 150 back. This 150 will get me a pair of trainers. It'll get me a decent pair of trackies. You know, I've got something. It's this quest, not just status, but for money as well to survive. Coming up, the pubs where you can buy a gun. But first, a word from a colleague. I'm Christina Lamb. I'm chief foreign correspondent of the Sunday Times, and I mostly cover conflict around the world. I particularly focus on what happens to women in war. And the reason that we can do this kind of reporting is thanks to the subscribers of The Times and Sunday Times. So please subscribe today by visiting thetimes.co.uk forward slash stories of our times. 
BlueNile.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Rob, you talked about gangs now, and you've been talking about how gangs were when you were a boy and decided not to join one. That, in that time of observism, how if at all, have they changed? They've changed dramatically. As I was younger, in the late 70s, 80s, when I was growing up, it was more about congregating on street corners. As we see the influx of drugs in the 1980s onwards, we see a transition. We see them becoming a lot more violent. And we see the influence of organised crime groups, particularly so when with groups closer to the nighttime economy where the demand for drugs is quite high. So it becomes more business-like. And I coined the term deviant entrepreneurship to sum that up, how they can use really good marketing skills. If these kids got a chance to utilize their marketing skills into a legitimate opportunity, there could be no stopping them. Are you saying they use their marketing skills for things like selling drugs? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, for instance, on a graph phone, a, a, a dealer's phone, they send what's called bog off offers, buy one, get one free offers, or they give commission to anyone giving them a new number, a referral, for instance, of a new client. So it'd just be a free bag of cocaine or whatever, but that's a commission. They'll also have opening hours and times of service. This, to me, is, represents what I call deviant entrepreneurship. We live in, a, in a, a world of conspicuous consumption now, and the pressure on young people to identify through material means, through labels, through nice cars or, or bikes or whatever, is, is so intense, particularly with social media. And if the legitimate means are not there to get those goals, then this is a, it's a form of innovation. It is grafting. It is working. And what they see is employment. Now, Rob, we're very used to talking about gangs in London. But what about in Liverpool? Are there actual groups of people who are, see themselves as gangs with actual names and actual areas? Is, is that how it works? There are names out there. Obviously, the, the two famous ones after the, the Reese Jones tragedy, the Croxted crew and the, and, and the Nogger Dogs, the Strand Gang in Norris Green and Croxted. Mercer's gang, the Crocky crew and the Strand gang from Norris Green had been fighting since 2004. The hostility had peaked almost a year to the day that Reese was shot, when Liam Smith, a leading member of the Strand gang, had been gunned down. But as you move up, there's Page Masters, the Mossheads, uh, the Windbourne gang, Hillside Avenue, the Hillside Eds. To my area, North Heighton, it's extremely territorial because North Heighton is divided into different districts. Baker's Green, the Bakeyheads, uh, and all of these groups. Again, it's that quest for status to be a scout soldier and the uniform. One of the fascinating things for me is one of them actually said, well, we dress all like this because it stops police from identifying specific individuals. Does that mean that you can tell a gang member by what they're wearing? No, not necessarily, no, but there are certain brands. I mean, there was one particular, I think it was the Crocs, the Crew, the Nugger Dogs, they had a Facebook account, and one of the emblems was North Face. It was the North Face uh, symbol. Now, what does what the local community, and what does the local community in Stockbridge think about these activities? There's a code of silence. I mean, again, just going back to, 
to academia, there is a, a theory called broken windows theory. If someone sees someone breaking a window, they're more likely not to report it because it's accepted. It's just part of life on an estate in marginalised Britain in 2022. And what about their relations with the police if they see something or think there's something more serious than that going on? It's the old adage, snitches get stitches. It's that mentality. Everyone hates a grass. There often can be a wall of silence. And in this city, there is a, a belief around being a grass or telling tales on people. I would appeal to our community members that they should be utterly sickened and that should galvanise people to actually contact Merseyside Police, work with us, because the only place that these callous, mindless, thoughtless thugs need to be is in jail. I've seen a house painted with the word grass all over it a few years ago and the name of this person all over the place, just huh. underneath grass. That's how bad it is. You are the spawn of Satan. But you've also been stopped yourself by the police recently. Can you tell us about that? Yeah, it's irregular. Well, for me, it's been a bit of a regular occurrence because obviously you live in an estate. I was stopped by the police and I was asked by a police officer, are you known to the police? Well, actually, yeah, I'm known to the Met. On Merseyside, I'm known to Manchester. <laughs> so you could have answered, are you known to the police? You could have said, yeah, well, I'm very well known to the chief constable. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't like <laughs> dropping names. <laughs> Obviously, and sadly, the reason why we're having this discussion at all is because people have been killed recently, they've been shot. What do you know about how easy or hard it is to get hold of a gun in the areas we're talking about? We are quite fortunate in that we have stringent gun legislation within this country. But nevertheless, you're going to get firearms, not just in Liverpool, in in areas like mine, but also in Manchester and Birmingham. London, obviously, is another one. If you wear the right clothes, you talk the right talk, you, you go into the right pubs. What kind of places are the, these pubs? Are they places you'd go to or, or that people know about and if you're not into the business, you stay away from? There's the sort of pubs that you would stay away from if you are you know, an outsider. What you'd see when you get into them is a lot of karaoke uh, with the older people in the corners sort of discussing what they've done. And some pubs are a bit of drug dealing and, and, and doing drugs in the, in the toilet. That's the sort of environment you're likely to see. But again, if you're a complete stranger, just keep your head down, basically, and and just (laughs) drink your pint and then go. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. And I know nothing about guns, really, Rob, and had hoped, really, apart from watching films, never to know about them. But what are the typical guns that are out there and how much do they cost? Firearms come in many shapes and sizes. We've got air rifles. They may not cause fatalities, but they can do a heck of a lot of damage. Antique weapons, reactivating, deactivated antique weapons. Typical ones are handguns. They can be pretty poor condition, but if they do the job, then they will be sold on. And you're talking about maybe £100, £150. At the upper end, you can get a Mac 10 you can get a Heckler & Koch, something like three to £4,000. I mean, from my research, they seem to be ex-military uh, firearms, and they're coming also from Eastern Europe. And yeah, mentioned to research a week ago that actually found a live round in North Heighton. It was just right in front of me as I was walking up and I looked down and I saw, and it's a very serious thing with, with the police. It is a full critical incident. I had the CSI with me, I had interviews. They went up and searched the area again, see if there's any more rounds. And what we found, what we recognised on the, the calibre of the bullet, it was MOD. Yeah. Again, forgive my ignorance, but when these gangs procure handguns for their younger recruits, 
do they get some kind of, I don't know, in the woods gun training for a week or are they just sent out with them? You possibly might get training in the, in the woods. They might try and try have, a, have a few practice shots themselves. But any firearms expert will tell you, if you have not done any real training with these things, they can be just as dangerous to you as well as the, as the person, as, as we've seen recently, tragically, with the uh, nine-year-old Olivia. If you don't know how to handle them, you're just shooting them off. Innocent people get killed. How would you go about changing this situation? We need to look at these communities more closely. Social biographies are so important, identifying what types of needs these communities have, the types of crimes that are going on, why these types of crimes are happening, and coming up with strategies that involve the people within these communities. A few years ago, the government came up with the Troubled Families Programme. That, that is a ridiculous name to, to call a programme. Right away, you've just stigmatised the people who are about to get involved in it. What about supporting families? What we're, look, we're talking about here is cultural change. It's a long-term project. It may be a generational thing. What do you want the future to look like for a child born today in Nosley? Ideally, I'd like it child to have a full range of options. Sadly, in Nosley, one of the things that I've noticed is the lack of real role models. And they always real in Stephen Gerrard. Great footballer. You won't get any bigger admirer than myself. But he's someone on, what, 200,000 a week. That's unrealistic goal setting. What I noticed is that you've got people like myself who've gone to university returning to areas like this, but there's no real support. Some of them just drift onto universal credit, and the job centre will simply say to them, well, you've got the skills. You don't need our help. Just get a job. But if the opportunities are not there, then the skills goes to waste. What would your childhood self have thought of what you're doing now, of where you've got to uh, and what you've managed to achieve? Well, I was thanks to, to my mum. She found the finances to get me through to the point where I am now. Sadly, my mum passed away in 2015. My dad passed away in 2004. Uh, so they never actually saw the situation as it is now with me. But in every everything I write... I tend to uh, to give them a dedication because it was it's down to them. It was those two people who saw the potential threats and they acted, and I'll always be grateful for that. Fiona, what are the police doing to deal with all of this? I think the way police fight serious organised crime in Merseyside has changed really drastically since the, the murder of Rhys Jones in 2007. You only have to look at their inspection reports to see that they they are doing a lot on this issue. So in their recent inspection, they got an outstanding rating, the highest possible for their disruption of serious organised crime. It's a very holistic approach that you don't always see in other police forces. So they have excellent intelligence with partners such as regional organised crime units and the National Crime Agency. They did 457 gang disruptions in a single year, which is pretty significant. They try and tackle organised crime groups at the top by trying to tackle the cash going into those groups rather than just the foot soldiers. They also use gang injunctions quite well, which can stop people's movement and who they associate with and put other controls on, on what they're up to. They are using uh, telephone restriction orders to try and cut down county lines, drug dealing phones, which are used so widely to get product out to drugs customers. The other side of what Merseyside Police are doing is really trying to engage with the community. They've got a project called Speak Up, which was uh, funds that had been seized by criminal gangs. They gave the community a voice and the opportunity to say how they would like them to be spent. 
But of course, this all comes back to funding and a wider approach because this is about drug use. This is about young people being given opportunities. And that is a far wider issue than the police. And that requires better investment in social services, in community groups, in the local council and other agencies far wider than Merseyside Police. And I suspect as the cost of living crisis worsens, as the energy crisis worsens, and the belt tightening in other areas worsens, that's a really difficult area to to get investment into. In terms of the particular types of crime we've been talking about, would you say that in the, over the longer term, if we take a longer term view, things are improving slightly? I think it might be too early to say what you see a lot of in Liverpool and, and other cities is tit-for-tat gang violence and and issues of territory of the drug trade. And that was probably ever thus. I think police forces are doing more than before to forge links with the community and try and improve things. But with the state of financial affairs of the country, sadly, these things are not necessarily a huge priority. We could be in for a, a tough time ahead. You've been listening to Stories of Our Times, a podcast brought to you thanks to subscribers of The Times and The Sunday Times, with me, David Aronovich, and my guests, Dr Robert Hesketh, chartered psychologist and academic with the School of Justice Studies at Liverpool John Moores University, and Fiona Hamilton, crime and security editor at The Times. You can find all of Fiona's work at thetimes.co.uk. The producer was Olivia Case, the executive producer is Kate Ford, and sound design was by Tom Birchall. If you have a story you think we should be covering, an idea for a future episode, or thoughts on what you've just heard, send us an email to storiesofourtimes@thetimes.co.uk. See you again soon. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for fifty to eighty percent less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.